The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. Our sermon passage today is taken from Galatians chapter 5, verses 4 through 6 and 13 through 26. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For though through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve another, one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the king of God, kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. The word of our Lord for today. Thank you, Mark. Appreciate it. In case um, maybe this is your um, first Sunday with us, or, or perhaps it's been a little while since you visited with us, um, let me just kind of catch you up on what we're doing here, what we have been doing here. Um, we have been working through this New Testament letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the churches of Galatia. Um, we've been working through it. Uh, we've been in the sermon series for quite some time, just essentially just kind of taking it in bite-sized pieces week by week. And it would seem that we're coming into something new this morning, uh, that we're hearing some, some, some new things. Uh, well, what do I mean by that? And the way that I would like to highlight this is um, 
by pointing to something that could could be easily confusing or off-putting, especially to those of us who actually have been around and been in this sermon series for quite some time. And pointing this out is going to require me to do a little bit of big picture review as it relates to the the letter on the whole, um, which is rarely a bad thing to do a bit of review like this. So uh, what has this letter been about? Um, If if I were to ask you, if you, you had to answer that question, for those of you who have been around, what might you say? Um, uh, if Paul has one big idea or one major concern that he's been addressing along the way, what has it been? And um, I think it's, it's been this. Um, he's been trying to answer this question, how can we be justified before God? How? How? How can we be reconciled to God? I'm just putting it in different ways. How can we be forgiven and experience peace with God once and for all? This is what what Paul has been squarely trying to deal with. These are the kinds of questions he's been trying to answer. And his answer to these questions has been not through the law. It's kind of like a backwards way of saying it, what it isn't. How? Not through the law not through obedience to the law. Rather, these things can only come about by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We're powerless, is what Paul's been telling us, I think, and hopeless to save ourselves. But the good news of the gospel is that what Jesus has done for us is enough. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has accomplished. He's lived the life that we were meant to live. He died the death that we should have died in order to exact the punishment due because of our sin, um, what he has done is fully and forever sufficient for our need. This is what Paul's been getting at. And of course, the Galatians had been misled. They had been, um, they lost sight of this. They knew it. And then they lost sight of it. And, um, they began to return to the law in an effort to be justified, functionally speaking, to be justified by the law. Um, they were seeking to justify themselves. And, and much to Paul's displeasure, we, you can think of all kinds of statements by Paul, him saying things, things like, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I'm sure you remember this. And I had pointed out for several weeks that verse 1 of chapter 5 here, which you don't have printed for you, but um, it serves as a pretty good key verse. It it serves as a pretty good summation of the letter on, on the whole. It says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And that yoke of slavery that Paul is referring to here is the law. And so he's saying, don't do that. (laughs) Don't. Don't return to that. You have a new yoke. You have a better yoke. You have the yoke of Jesus Christ. He is your righteousness now. Now, if I'm saying these things and you're listening right now and I'm annoying you, which I might be, by going back over the same old ground. I mean, you might be thinking like, good golly, Miss Molly. Like, how many times is he going to say these things to us? Like, he's saying the same thing over and over again, week after week. He said this for the umpteenth time. And if that's how you feel, I would say, I'm sorry. But not. I'm not sorry, though. 
Sorry, not sorry. Isn't that what they say? Sorry, not sorry. Um, because I'm only following Paul's example, and that's not a bad route to go, I don't think. Um, but here's why. I'm not trying to, to annoy you. I hope you realize that. I'm not trying to be um, like unnecessarily repetitious. But here's why I'm doing it. There, there is a reason. I do have a good reason um, in particular for this morning. And it's this whole section that goes from about verse 19 through verse, verse 23, where he lists off what he calls, he begins by listing off what he calls the works of the flesh. You guys see what I'm seeing here? And when he gets to the end of that list, he says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. That was verse 21. And then in verse 22, the very next verse, he begins a new list. So, so that was one list the do not list, and now he's, he's on to the do list in verse 22, he, he, um, and he begins this new list with these, these more righteous qualities and characteristics, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and if you're anything like me, when you read these things, you may begin to feel this strange old familiar feeling. Paul's been going on and on throughout this letter about our freedom and our security in Christ, that he's our righteousness, that he's, he's, met any in, he's, he's met up to any and every list of righteous qualities and characteristics that you could possibly put up against him. He's, he's met them all. He's done it, okay? And then after all of that teaching, from Paul and redirection from Paul, pointing us back to these things, we suddenly find ourselves confronted with new lists. And if you're anything like me, you might look at these lists and look at some of the language that's attached to them and suddenly feel like this like twinge of dread. I mean, this might just be me. I'll admit that. But uh, this, it's, this is its effect on me. Um, at first glance. And by that, I mean the kind of dread that can be attached to the law. In other words, I suddenly feel myself slipping back under the weight and the pressure that I felt with the law. I suddenly feel as though I'm right back out there on that proving ground and that it's all up to me all over again when I begin to read some of these things, because when I look at these two lists, I find myself wanting, you know? When I look at these two lists, I find that I'm doing and not doing the things on the wrong lists. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm mixed up. Um, things aren't adding up well, and the only thing that I, I can think to do in the face of that, when I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is not good. This is not a good commentary. Uh, uh, this is not a good look. The only thing I can think to do is to like buckle down and try harder. You know, like, man, oh man, I've got I've to nip this thing in the bud. This does not bode well for me. I've got to clean this stuff up, which I hope you realize, I, I need to be clear on this, is not a bad impulse to want to make reforms like these. The, these are good things. They're not bad things. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that I suddenly feel like I've got that grand piano back on my back again. 
And then I'm like hiking up a couple flights of stairs with it on my back and that I need to carry it. And maybe again, it's just me, but that's how I feel when I read these things. And so how do we make sense of this like kind of slightly discombobulating situation? And the key to making sense of these things is to identify and to seek to understand this new subject matter that I started with. I said that there's, what did I say? That um, it would seem that we're coming into something new here this morning. Is that where I started? That we're hearing some new things. And it's not new, actually. That's deceptive. It's not new, but it seems that way because it's mentioned so frequently. And it's not an it. It's a him. And I'm referring to the Spirit of God. So let me just give you some examples here. Verse 5. Just it, it, it being mentioned so frequently. Verse 5, for through the Spirit. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. What is this, all this talk about? And how does it speak to my concerns that I just shared with you, that dread that I was talking about? That's what we want to look at and attempt to understand together this morning. Is like, what is this, how does this speak into things? By the way, next week we're going to focus exclusively on the fruit of the Spirit. So if this morning you don't hear me making too much commentary about the fruit of the Spirit, it's because we're going to, we're going to give a whole Sunday to that. But again, how does the Holy Spirit factor into all these things that we're talking about? So allow me to just give us a little bit of an outline here, and then we will get into these things. I have three things for us to consider this morning. One, we're going to consider the reality of the Spirit. Two, we're going to consider the mission of the Spirit. And then three, we're going to consider the help of the Spirit. So let me just mention those things one more time. The, the reality the mission, and the help of the Spirit. Are you intrigued? I hope so. So to begin with, the reality of the Spirit. And after hearing that like landslide of, of little uh, snippets of verses about the Spirit, um, uh, it suddenly seems, doesn't it? It suddenly seems impossible to deny the presence and the reality of the Spirit of God seen in the midst of this whole discussion here, lists included. This is why it's such a good idea. I, I try to mention this every once in a while. It's, this is why it's such a good idea to look for frequency, to look for repetition in any given passage, because added up, it often helps us to recognize an emphasis that we might overlook that we might overlook, but that we need to zero in on in order to understand like what's actually going on here. And that's certainly the case here. And here's what I mean by that. Rather than leaving us in a sense of dread, if we're reading this passage with an eye on the presence and the reality of the Spirit of God, it actually ought to leave us feeling deeply encouraged. So join me on this journey to, 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 to like basically pull a total reverse on where I started, okay? We should be deeply encouraged. We should walk away from this passage not feeling like we've got pianos stacked on our backs, but we, it is as though a load has suddenly been lifted 
off of us, that we're getting lighter. Because this passage doesn't just speak to us of the reality of the Spirit of God. It also speaks to us of the reality of what um, we might be sensing when we're overcome with that feeling of dread that I mentioned earlier. Because deep down, we know that we can't stand up under these lists. And if we, we do think that we can, if, if you're here, you do think that you can, I just want to kindly suggest to you that you're kidding yourself. Because <laughs> you can't. And get this, if you sense and feel that dread that I'm talking about, it's because you don't want to return to that proving ground. Like if, if you've been along with us and you've been like, man, whew, sweet relief, you know, like freedom in Christ, I love this. I'm not under the yoke of the law anymore. And then, then, you know, you feel like you're returning to it and you feel that dread. It's because you don't want to return. You don't want to return to that proving ground. You don't want another law-like yoke around your neck demanding that you, that you meet every requirement or else. Because Paul just got through convincing you. Like, what are you doing to me, Paul? He just got through convincing you that you can't stack up to it. We can't meet the requirements of these lists. We can't muscle up and fix ourselves. We can't patch the holes. We can't self-correct. We can't self-reform. In the same way that we couldn't self-justify ourselves before God, likewise, we can't self-reform ourselves either. We need, you know, like, if you think that you could just, like, get a, a book out there, there, there's lots of them, you know this, with like, you know, five keys to, you know, self-help ourselves into this life of God that God's calling us to. If you think you can do that, it's not going to work. We need help. Like not self-help, like outside help to come in. And so in a sense, that feeling of dread, it's appropriate in a sense. We should feel as though we can't meet up to these lists, we should recognize gaping holes in our ability to fulfill these lists. They should highlight for us that we are in desperate need of help. And if you're tracking with me on this, I have got really good news for you. This is the deeply encouraging part. God has provided us with the help that we need. God has given us a helper. He's graciously given us his spirit to indwell us and to assist us in a whole myriad of ways. This is what Paul is getting at here. In order for us to begin to live the life that God is calling us to here, we need nothing less than a divine intervention, and God has provided that for us. In the same way that we needed a complete and total 100% divine intervention on the part of God just to justify us and to save us and to rescue us, in the same way we need a 100% divine intervention on the part of God in order to walk with God. And I'm sorry if that's insulting to you. It might be. To suggest that we're that needy, that we need that much help, like more? We need more? Yes, we need more. And in the face of that need, he's, giving, he's given us what? He's given us nothing less than himself. He's given us himself 100%, 100% of the time, and permanently. 
he's done this. Not 55%, not 85%, 100%. It's bonkers. This should be deeply encouraging to us. Just listen to the way that Jesus talked about this. If you're kind of like, what is he talking about? Like, where is, where is he getting this stuff from? Before his crucifixion, before he left his closest disciples in order to comfort them, he let them know that the Spirit would come and indwell them, and he gave them a bit of insight into what that experience might actually be like. This comes from John's Gospel. This is from uh, the 14th chapter. In verses 16 and 17, Jesus says this, I will ask the Father, he tells them, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth. And then in verse 18, he speaks to the heart of this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. What's he saying there? What does he mean? I won't leave you to yourself. I won't leave you to your own devices. I won't leave you to your own strength and know-how. I'm going to send you another helper. And then coming down to verse 26, I'm still in John 14, he expounds on this. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Okay? And this puts us into our second point, the mission of the Spirit, the mission of the Spirit. We can draw a direct line of connection from what I just read to you from John uh, chapter 14 there over to our passage that you've got in front of you in your bulletin uh, over here to Galatians chapter 5. Look at verse 5 there in your bulletins. This is Paul's uh, first mention, in this section anyway, of the work of the Spirit. So what do we learn? Verse, verse 5, what do we learn? And by the way, Paul just got through uh, in verse 4, reminding them that they cannot um, and are not their own source of justification and righteousness. Jesus is. I'm continuing to remind you of these things. We're, um, I, I'll, I won't do it again. Maybe. But notice what he's saying in verse 5 there. He says, For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. This is really a deep statement here. But what is he, what is he talking about? This phrase, by the way, um, through the spirit is very interesting. The Greek word for spirit, when it's all by itself, when it's not attached to um, uh, words like holy or God that, that, that contextualize it, when it's by itself, it means something like wind or breath. And so it carries the idea, the idea, I guess you could say, of, of like movement of some kind of propelling force. Um, but this here obviously is in reference to the Spirit of God, right? But in other words, one of the ways that the Spirit of God graciously helps us is by directing us to Jesus. I think that even like this idea of like wind and breath is actually helpful, like this kind of like propelling idea that the Spirit, like through the Spirit, the Spirit is directing us, almost like putting wind in the sails of a ship or something like that. Um, he directs us. He directs our gaze back. He redirects our gaze back to the source of our justification in righteousness on our behalf in Jesus Christ. And as it relates to this, this is the mission 
of the Spirit of God in our lives. This is what he's up to. This is the main thing that he's up to. This is the big picture, big idea of what he's up to in our lives. He's doggedly dedicated to redirecting us again and again and again to Jesus. And this is precisely what Jesus told us he would do back in John chapter 14. Isn't this what he said? He said, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have told you. He's just going to keep pointing you back to me. It's going to be good. And so what did Jesus say? What might the Spirit be reminding of us as it pertains to Jesus? Just, I'm just going to throw a couple things out there to consider. And this, this one's interesting. This also comes from John chapter 14, okay? Same chapter. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I must be your justification, right? I must be your righteousness, Here's another one. This is from Mark's gospel. We hear Jesus speaking about himself and saying that I, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. What does he mean? He means I must be your justification. I must be your righteousness. And if you know him this morning, and if he is your justification, and if he is your righteousness, then please know that the Spirit of God who indwells you is fully committed to combating those feelings of dread that I was talking about. How? How? By redirecting your gaze again and again and again back to Jesus, to the all-sufficient saving work that he's accomplished on your behalf. This is the overarching, big picture mission of the Spirit of God in your life, okay? Now, practically speaking, day by day, in what other ways is the Spirit of God helping us? In order to see this mission, like, fully realized in our lives. And this brings us to our last point, the help of the Spirit. Notice the language here. It's very interesting. We're told to... Walk with the Spirit, or walk by the Spirit, I mean. We're told to be led by the Spirit, to live by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. Like, what does all this mean? How do we even do these things? Um, and I'm just going to say that I don't entirely know. I think it would be foolish of me to stand up here and to tell you that I've got, that I understand this. I don't. I think there's a great deal of mystery that surrounds this. And yet there are many things that we're told here, told in other places that can give us some really good pointed um, insights and some action points, I think, on what this means and what this might look like in our lives. To walk by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to walk in step with the Spirit. And so here are, are a few thoughts on this. Please look back at, with me at verse 16 in our passage. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. All right? And so I believe that this speaks of the gracious, sounds strange to say this, but it's true. 
I think this speaks of the gracious ministry that the Spirit has in our lives. That, that as he indwells us, he applies some of that wind into our sails. He works in such a way as to propel us in a particular direction. And what I think Paul means is that he works in us in such a way as to oppose our reckless impulses. Keep us out of trouble. Keep our noses clean. Okay? What I just read sounds like a spiritual tug-of-war, doesn't it? Like there's, there's like a tug-of-war that's going on inside of those who are following Christ. It doesn't sound fun, actually. Um, and if you've experienced it, it isn't. It's unpleasant. Makes me think of a, a quote. Um, I actually shared this with uh, the guys yesterday at the men's conference. This comes from English minister J.C. Ryle, who lived and served during the 1800s. He writes this. Sounds very similar to the passage. I just have to assume he's thinking of uh, what I just read for you when he says this. We may take comfort about our souls if we know anything of an inward fight in conflict. It is the invariable companion of genuine Christian holiness. Do we find in our heart of hearts a spiritual struggle? Do we feel anything of the flesh warring against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that we cannot do the things we would? Are we conscious of two principles within us contending for the master? Do we feel anything of war in our inward man? Well, let us thank God for it. It is a good sign. It is strongly probable evidence of the great work of sanctification. Well, what's sanctification? What's he talking about? Sanctification. It's God's work in our lives to cause us to better know and reflect Jesus to form us, to develop us into the image of Jesus. And at times it can feel like a tug of war going on inside of us, in our hearts and minds, because the Spirit has moved in. He's taken up residence in us, right? Like we're sharing space with him. He's not content to let us do whatever we would like. Because he cares for us. He's moved in to help us. These are the ways that he is seeking to help us. He's committed to our overall spiritual health and development. Okay? And I want to say a few things about this. The work that he's bringing about in our lives, it's a long and slow process. I think it's really important to remember that. It's a long and slow process. It's not a once and done kind of a thing. In fact, and you've probably heard me say this before, but some days... What's it like? Some days, two steps forward, one step back. Other days, one step forward, two steps back. Like, whoa, what's going on? Um, but overall, I want to say this, it involves progress. Overall, the Spirit, if He indwells you, He's getting you where you need to go. Even if it doesn't feel like it. Even, even if you can't see it. Because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But this is one of the most important things I would say about this. What does it really look like, though? What does it really look like to walk and live and be led by the Spirit? And I believe it means that we are to do all that we can to cooperate 
I think that's a very helpful word, to cooperate with the Spirit's gracious work in our lives. We should be attempting to pull in the same direction that he is pulling us in. And so how do we do that? And there's loads of things I could say on this, but this reminds me of the first time I ever rode a, a dirt bike. I grew up, dirt bike, what? Um, I grew up in um, the suburbs uh, just outside of uh, Buffalo, New York. And as a kid, I uh, was often found a couple doors down hanging out at my really good buddy Chris's house. Uh, there's always a lot of crazy, wild, fun things going on there, so I just couldn't keep away. And um, his older, he had an older brother, Billy, who's about four or five years older than us. In fact, um, uh, the, the last time I was home uh, visiting my folks recently, Billy uh, died while I was there. And um, I was able to attend his funeral. Uh, which is probably why this illustration is coming to my mind. But, um, yeah, he was, Billy was cool, you know, like, who, who wouldn't want to, you know, be like Billy? That was basically the way that I thought at that time. And um, he had a, a, I think it was a Honda XR 250, 350, I can't remember what it was, but um, it was awesome. Uh, and he was a wild man on it, you know, it, like, like, he, he would, he'd bang through the first like two or three gears and he'd be pulling the wheel off the ground every time. And I was, I remember just begging him like, Billy, take me for a ride. Can I get him back? Come on, Billy. And, um, he, he said, all right, hop on, you know, and I got on, he, he said, hold on. So I just, you know, I didn't, I'd never done this before. So I just put my hands on his hips and, and he twisted the throttle and, and I nearly came off. I don't know how I stayed on. All right. And then he stopped and he said, you better hold on, dude. So what did I do? <laughs> I, I wrapped both my arms around his belly and I held on for dear life, you know. And then he started just banging through gears and we were flying. This thing was squealing. Tears are just like shooting off of the side of my face. And... Um, and it's it's a it's a it's an uncomfortable thing, okay, to to do this <laughs> with your buddy's older brother. But like, we were intimate, all right. Like, I, my 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 chest was right up against his back. I I I, I he could feel my heartbeat. I'm sure, <laughs> like pounding into his back. But it was necessary, right? If you've ever been in this kind of situation, you know what I'm talking about. And, and I, I, I really needed to um, be aware. I needed to anticipate what was happening. And I not just like visually anticipate it, but even feel it. Like I needed to feel what he was going to do next because he's, he's cutting right and he's cutting left. And I'm needing to lean into the turns with him. You know what I mean? You don't want to be leaning in the opposite direction of the, the, the person's turn. And if, if you're going as fast as he was going with me, I'm back. Okay? And... This is a lot like what I think it means for us to walk in step with the Spirit, okay? Um, this, I believe, is what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. We can't afford to hold on loosely and to keep at a safe distance from God. We need to wrap both of our arms around and hold on tight, okay? And we need to learn him, right? We need to anticipate what he's doing. 
We need to hold on to him in such a way that we can anticipate his movements in our lives, which is to say that we need to be intimately acquainted with him. We need to be intimately acquainted with his word, acquainted with his heart, acquainted with his mind, acquainted with his intentions towards us, which are the things that the Spirit of God is always trying to help us with. He's, he's trying to help us. We can't be pulling in the other direction. We need to cooperate with him. I'll say that again. We need to cooperate with him, to trust that he has our best interests in mind. I said we got to hold on tight. We also even need to trust that he's holding on to us. This is not like Billy, okay? Billy couldn't hold on to me while I was holding on to him, but God can hold on to you while you're holding on to him. And when we fail to do that, when we fail to do that very thing, when we falter into sin and make a mess of the whole lists that, Paul, that Paul's got here for us, um, we need to cooperate with him again. We need to cooperate with, with the work that he's going to do next because he's, he's, he's ready to do that work too. The Spirit of God, if he abides in you, he, he will be faithful to convict you of your sin. And this is a good thing. He will be faithful to lead you to the sweet restorative work that comes with repentance. This reminds me a bit of um, all that I'm talking about, all this help, all this assistance of the Spirit of God. This reminds me of this old poem. You've probably heard it before. Um, Run, John, run. You guys know this one? This, uh, it's probably from the 1600s. Many people have attached it to, um, to who? John Bunyan. Bunyan, yes, thank you. A lot of people have attached it to John Bunyan, uh, author of um, Prodigal, no, Pilgrim's, Pilgrim's Progress. Man, where, where would I be without you guys? You see how much help I need? It's bad. But no, listen, listen to this poem. It's great. It doesn't matter who wrote it. it it's the poem that matters. Run, John, run, the law demands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. You understand what he's saying? The, the law demands that we run. You better get moving, and we can't even walk. We, we have neither hands nor feet, and still the law is demanding that we run. Far better news the gospel brings, it bids us fly and gives us wings. Far better news. The gospel says fly, and then it gives you the wings to fly. You understand? And a great many of the feathers, if I can put it this way, that we possess in the gospel, we can thank the Spirit of God for. He is here to help us. He's here to help us fly. He's here to help us get off the runway. You say, yeah, but I don't see any growth in my life, Pastor Doug. I just don't see it. I don't see it. We talked about this already, but I think this is worth returning to. I feel stagnant. Why am I not experiencing the help of the Spirit that you're talking about? Now, it, it may be because you, you don't have the Spirit. And I have to be careful to, to say that. It may be that you haven't trusted Christ to be your justification, to be your righteousness. If that's the case, I have good news. You can. Or it may mean that you do belong to him and that it's hard for you to see what's going on. Because it's gradual. It's hard to see. 
what's happening when you're swimming in the fishbowl. You understand? It's gradual, but it's inevitable. Listen to this quote from, from the old St. John Owens. He said, the growth of, this is from his book called The Holy Spirit, by the way. The growth of trees and plants takes place so slowly that it is not easily seen. Daily we notice little change, but in course of time, we see that a great change has taken place. So it is with grace, which by the way, the spirit of God is trying to apply to our lives and return us to again and again. So it is with grace. Sanctification is a progressive lifelong work. It is an amazing work of God's grace. And so what do we need to do? Hold on. Hold on tight. Enjoy the ride. Lean into the turns. Let us cooperate. Let us cooperate with the good work that God is seeking to do in us. Let's pray. Father, you're so generous. You just give and give and give. And that's good for us because our need is so deep. We need all that you can give us. And we pray that you would continue to be patient with us in this long, gradual process that we're in with you. God, would you continue to be patient with us? Would you continue to poke us and prod us, convict us, um, bring us to the end of ourselves, overcome our stubbornness. Help us to see, help us to, to, to gaze upon Jesus in such a way that we see that we're in good hands and that we would cooperate and pull in the same direction. And God, would you be faithful to grow us and to develop us more and more into the image of Christ, not just as individuals, but as a church? Would you cause us to reflect? Would people see us and say, these people, they walk with God. They walk by the Spirit. May it be so, according to your will, and by your power, and by your grace. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.